This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, Ellis Pod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parking or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com uh, uh, uh. Rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play! That is that! Take a shot! Oh, oh, goal! Oh, oh, oh. post for Shearer. Goal! McLaughlin has it. Oh, deflection! And a goal! Comes to Mitchell! It's another goal! Incredible! Hobble! for Dan Hunt-style sighing. A frustrating derby draw against Bristol Rovers, plus the news that Tyree Simpson has been recalled by Ipswich Town. Here to discuss first, it's Connor. Hello, Connor. (sighs) Was that good? good. Uh, That's pretty good. It's pretty good. And also joining me, the king of the sighs himself, is Dan Hunt. Uh, Hello, gentlemen. (laughs) Even all. Well, good evening, but I can't help but be a little bit disappointed by that side, Connor. It wasn't premium Dan Hunt saying, was it? He's he's building in. Like, you know, you've got to leave yourself somewhere to go. You can't get your best side in early, so fair play. Very true. Yeah. You've got to be able to go up to 11, right? Exactly. Fair play to Connor. You've absolutely got me there. You start... Modestly, Dan, and by the time we're talking about Sheridan, I'm sure <laughs> the size will be prolonged and glorious, and we look forward to them. Okay, then. So, quite a weird weekend, wasn't it? As I, as I said, there, I I sit here, 24 hours on from the Bristol Rovers game, and although I was fine with the result, I st- it still feels a little bit like a loss for me. Swindon started. Uh, with the same lineup from the previous week at Port Vale. And Connor, for the first 30 minutes, it was the absolute right decision, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's really many changes that we could have expected um, from that team. I think the the only possible one would be slotting Jordan Lyden in and then like you have to question, well, who's that going to be for? Because pretty much all of the midfielders last week played well. So like, it, <laughs> you'd be a brave man to make a decision of which one of those three to drop. Uh, so yeah, completely the right decision to start off uh, that way. And uh, yeah, like you say, the um, early exchanges were were pretty much all Swindon. We were playing some some of our best football this season. I thought um, at points, uh, and uh, yeah, sadly it didn't quite last as long as we would have hoped. I guess the first five minutes, atmosphere wise, I thought was better than Man City in places. I thought the fans were really getting behind, and there was this real feeling that we were. And it was shown on the pitch that we were way, way better than Bristol Rovers right up until, say, right up until about two minutes before they equalised. It just, the body language of Bristol Rovers, their fan base was silent. It just felt like it was going to, could have been one of those days where we could have just brushed them aside. Yeah, I think you're right. It certainly, it felt like a raucous crowd. Good, um, good noise from all three sides, actually. Um I think the the rendition of uh, when the Reds go steaming in certainly sounded like it was echoing from all sides of the ground, which is a lovely, lovely thing to be part of. Um, yeah, unfortunately for us, that raucous atmosphere seemed to really take a knock when Bristol Rovers equalised. And it never quite recovered after that. Um, I think Swindon, as in the team, played into that as well because... We, we never got a head of steam up in the second half, despite being the team in fourth, despite being the home team, despite having beaten Bristol Rovers in the reserve, reverse game. Um, it just, the, the sort of very worst parts of a derby helped Rovers. You know, it was bitty, it was scrappy, they fouled a lot, um, which is all allowed. It's all within the rules. They got their bookings, all six of them, was it? But yeah, just. I, I tend to try and put the microscope on what we could have done. And I, I do think Garner was well mute on the touchline, really, in terms of you know having Mitchell Lawson and Leiden and possibly Aguiar or uh, Parsons available to uh, to bring on. And we never rolled the dice. It was it was all a bit strange, a bit like both teams were pretty happy with one one, and there were very few clear cut chances in most of the game, really. Dan is the king of summarising a whole game perfectly well in two minutes, but this is a podcast, <laughs> so <laughs> we have to talk about it for a little bit longer. You you mentioned there that those opening exchanges were amongst the best we've played this season. If you could elaborate on that for me. I just think that the combination played with a lot of the players on the pitch was just like at some of the best that we've seen in terms of... Um, I don't think you would say that there were many sort of standout performances um, across the whole game, but not even in the in those first sort of half hour or so. Um, but w- what there was was just like an eleven that pretty much all seemed to be like reasonably at it, um, sort of combining well. Uh, and like by the time we scored, you know, there'd been a couple of kind of half chances. There were a couple of kind of half chances after. Nothing like really, really clear cut, but just in terms of the domination of the game, like I hadn't been concerned by Bristol Rovers really at any point. I mean, I think there was that one point where um, Collins flashed kind of half cross, half shot across the face of goal. Um, and it's not, uh, there's no one sort of at the back post to put it in. Um, but 
that was only maybe like a, a slight moment in, in that first half an hour. Uh, and otherwise I was really just thinking like, we just need to like get the second goal that we deserve because, um, you know, the longer you don't get it, the <laughs> the more the door is open uh, for a bit of a sucker punch. Yeah, Swindon took the lead through Tyree Simpson. We'll, we'll talk about his exit a bit later on, but it was one of those finishes which I was already getting up to celebrate but long before it hit the back of the net. It was in from the moment it left his boot. And I think what Ian in, in the USA did on Sunday is he clipped all of Tyree Simpson's goals uh, during this spell at Swindon. And what you could see is the progression of the guy's confidence just in goal form. Just just a wonderful finish, wasn't it? Oh, lovely. Um, what Upon seeing it live in the ground, me and my friend were questioning whether or not the goalie um, had had a bit of a bit of a poor moment, whether he dived too early rather than going step step dive. But there was um, there was a really good angle of the goal. I think it was our friend Hanra Hanra Anthony Grant um, who captured some of the footage. It may have been his daughter from the the town end, and you see how beautifully Simpson uses one of the the defenders as a shield, which um, you know makes it that half a second longer that the keeper doesn't pick up the line of the ball. And uh, yeah, just a really, really cultured finish and give the keeper no chance at all. Yeah, Connor McCurdy was screaming for it to be laid on. He'll be doing that again a bit later on in the game, but Simpson perfectly entitled to take this one. Yeah, it's one of those where, um, to be honest, the the pass and then the way that he sets himself uh, the first time, it was only ever on for a shot, in my opinion. Like uh, It's one of those where I thought, if he hits it now this is a goal. Um, obviously, you can quite often be wrong in terms of he could have completely shanked it. In this case, he didn't. It's a, absolutely like the, the best contact you could probably get on that. Uh, and uh, yeah, everyone's out of their seats celebrating. I mean, it, yes, it's, a, it's a great goal. I think, you know, probably is probably his best uh, in his spell with us. Um, and yeah, I guess if any of them had to be the final one, then then, then, then that's a fitting one. Like, like you guys said, uh, just the, the level of confidence to take that on. Um, absolutely fantastic and uh, you know it was the right decision that moment maybe later on in the game the, the other one maybe wasn't but I guess we can only judge it based on what happened it was at this point Dan that I looked at the away end I looked at the body language of the Bristol Rovers players I even looked to the bench and they just looked so deflated and I just thought like I said earlier I thought this could really, really turn into one of those games to swing and where it could be 2-3-4-0. And I guess it happens, it's a classic trait in football, isn't it? When you score the goal, you kind of ease back a little bit. And that seemed to happen, not to an alarming extent, but we made a few mistakes prior to them scoring. Some that others might not have noticed, but we were just sort of letting them in a little bit more in the, in the minutes before Finley equalised. Yeah, so I think immediately after the goal was probably our most dominant spell. We had a couple of uh, opportunities where we got him round the back. Uh, one from Aendolo, where his cross just got a toe end off a Bristol Rovers defender. Otherwise, I think it was oh, yeah. going straight to Tyrese for goal number two, um, just agonisingly out of reach. And then um, Tyrese himself um, leaving his man for dead out on the right. Um, putting the ball back into the near post to McCurdy, just couldn't get the ball out 
from his feet to get the shot away. It was quite well defended. So, yeah, it felt like we really had... Um, that was the moment to get goal number two and kill the game. Because, as you said, Bristol City looked like a side who had that familiar feeling, been beaten a lot this year. Um, but this is where, reluctantly, we have to give Bristol Rovers um, some credit. Because compared to the fixture back in October, when they were absolutely you know, sitting ducks there for the taking. Brett Pittman isolated up front on his own. A couple of wingers who, you know, couldn't really get in the game. Whereas yesterday, they were much more cohesive, much better on the ball. A couple of players I like the look of. Um, Centre of the park, Anthony Evans with the orange boots. I thought had a really good game. Dare I say, would would fit in quite nicely with the uh, the Swindon side. Aaron Collins, I quite like the the man who was derided or complimented <laughs> um, in the first game while he was warming up. I, I think he's quite useful. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I can't say I'd, I, he stood out to me yesterday, but um, I'm aware of his talents. He scored a very, very good goal against Oxford in the FA Cup replay from uh, from a long way out, which um, you know anyone deserves a pat on the back for that. But yeah, the the other one I really liked. Um, I thought Coots. In the middle, was just played that very experienced role very well. And um, the left centre-half, is it Ash Grant? Have I got his name right? Josh Grant. Josh Grant, sorry. Um, he looked he looked a very useful, progressive, you know, left centre-back. Um, dare I say, sort of shades of, you know, Critchlow at his best, the way that he, he strode forward the, with the ball. So, yeah, much better oversight. But Swindon let them back in. Um, in those couple of minutes before the goal, you know, just not looking after the ball as we should. Um, Garner made comments after the match about the pitch being a bit dry, but at the end of the day, you got to look after the ball. I think Williams, Gladwin, and Reed are probably our least industrious three that we could put out. Um, even though Payne's smaller, he does give you a bit more in the way of work rate and um, discipline in there. Um, yeah, and. Ultimately, yeah, very nice cross. I was I, I was irritated watching it live about how we didn't get out to try and stop the cross, and sure enough, um, drifted to the back post and did was it Finley? Did he get a touch? Yeah, or? Finley. It was Finley that crossed yeah. it. I think. Wasn't it? Oh, okay. Think, so they, um, they've given it to the crosser. Yeah, but no, lovely so. cross. I mean, it, it left Ward in two minds, and he he couldn't really do anything either way, could he? Um, for fear of the the on-rushing striker getting a touch. But yeah, it's, um, after that, Swindon were a bit rocky up to half-time for me. Could have made an argument that half-time suited us a lot more than it suited Bristol Rovers. Um, and yeah, I will come on to the second half, but we never quite got that reaction. It didn't look like the side had had a rollicking at half-time. Yeah, I mean, I think now we've, we've got to 1-1. I think we can talk about the whole game Connor without having to sort of talk about first half second half and something that happened I reckon around 20 minutes in and it's sort of symbolized by the fact that Connor Taylor was the first player booked on 25 minutes it seemed to be round about then that Rovers went from maybe one game plan to another where it, it became about you know, those niggly fouls as as you'll hear listeners say and um, throughout which was very very effective Something that if Swindon were doing that and we got the draw away from home in similar circumstances, we'd say that's football, baby. But it stifled Swindon 
and we couldn't cope with it. Yeah. Would, would you say that there was... I, I just don't think that was Bristol Rovers' game plan from the off. It did seem to just turn at 1-0, didn't it? I think you're right that it wasn't their initial game plan because, I mean, if it had, the, if it had been, then they didn't execute it at all until probably 25, 30 minutes into the game. Um and uh, and then started to do it re- really well, sort of all of a sudden. So yeah, I, I think that was definitely a big change. I mean, I think what we've seen from Swindon this season is that we do seem to kind of work best when we can get into a bit of a flow. Um, I'm sure that's the case for most good footballing teams as well. But I think you could see like the evidence of that first half was that like we were by far the better footballing team. Like we have um, a lot better technical players on the ball um, in, in different positions. Um, but that's not the only aspect of the game that you need to be good at. And uh, Rovers kind of were, were able to find a way of kind of knocking us out of our flow and just kind of you know putting a cat, cat amongst the pigeons um, at, at certain points. And uh, yeah, if you, if you start to sort of foul people, um, the if you start to foul the opposite team um, at sort of moments of, I guess, transition, then you can kind of knock everything out of balance and, uh, I guess it's it's not sort of um, too much of a surprise that, you know, once we lost that kind of balance that we started sort of making a couple of individual errors here and there. And um, I think, you know, after quite a positive start to the game, Louis Reed kind of wasn't really in the game for the final 20 minutes or so of the, of the first half, which was, um, I guess, a, a little bit disappointing. Like, not, not even in terms of, like, he was doing particularly anything wrong, but, like, the ball just wasn't getting near to him. Uh, they obviously kind of, just must have changed their midfield shape or or something to kind of keep everything um uh, the way that uh, to, to to avoid f- things continuing the way that it was so uh, it is a bit of a frustrating one obviously compounded as well by by the goal um, and i guess in my opinion louis reed's one in it because i think finley the guy who's crossing is probably his man he needs to step out a lot quicker than he than he did uh, so i feel bad for criticizing him uh, it, as part of one of the goals uh, for the second week running. But um, yeah, it was whatever they did uh, sort of halfway through the first half, it it did seem to work. And I think there were points in the second half where we did manage to kind of bypass that a little bit. We we did look a little bit longer. Um, There were a lot of balls going into Tyree Simpson, then off to McCurdy in the second half that seemed that we we were trying something a little bit different because uh, they did seem to kind of just be working really, really hard in midfield. Um, But, you know, the, although there was probably a slightly different approach um, there, maybe that's just like, you know, players looking at the options that they've got and there's no one to pass to in midfield. So you have to look a bit further forward. Uh, it wasn't matched up by changes as well. And I, I think that the, the disappointing thing is that, you know, Rovers having changed the game already, um, you would have liked to hope that we could have changed something uh, a little bit, just in terms of personnel, maybe rejigging things ever so slightly and, uh, working those openings and it just never happened. I think the game just kind of trundled along loads of breakage breakages in play. Uh, and yes, it's, it's, it probably wasn't the most enjoyable second half to watch. And I mean, the final 15 minutes or so, barely any football was played just in because of different injuries and, uh, <laughs> and breaks there so you know it is what it is it is what it is I was I, I thoroughly enjoyed the first half and then the second half felt like a complete non-event and I think as Dan has already alluded to it, it just felt like whatever Ben Garner said at half time had zero impact on on the second half um, and as the game 
proceeded in terms of subs from both sides. Rovers made all three, but it was far too late to really make an impact the way the game had been stop, start, stop, start. And then Swindon didn't at all. A lot of talk, Dan, about the lack of substitutions. Some people can understand. Some people, they can't see why you can't put Leiden or Mitchell Lawson on in, in those, or wild card like Agua um, to just do something extraordinary um, from nothing. What, what's your stance from it then? Well, my stance is that Garner was too passive. Um, I think, f- put it in these terms, when Williams is playing out of his skin, he comes off after 65 minutes, regardless. And most of the time, that's Gladwin and Williams swapping places. So it seems very odd to have two ball-playing, you know, attacking midfielders go and last the 90 when you had Leiden. And that game, especially the second half, where it was so bitty, that really suited Leiden. It was screaming out for Leiden in the last 20 or 30 minutes. And it wouldn't have been a defensive move either because, you know, Leiden's a good footballer. And as he's shown this season in more advanced positions, he, you know, he's not going to be shot shy, goal shy. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I feel like well, hopefully if Garner had his time again in this match, he, he would make that change. And, you know, probably at 1-1, you never want to take your top scorer off, but it probably was McCurdy's worst game for a long while. Um, epitomised by a, a first-half chance where he's putting down the left and sort of mediumly heavy touched, followed by very heavy touch and just... You know, uh, number 17, is that Connor Taylor? Yeah. Yeah, he, he defended well and just sort of shuffled McCurdy out of play for a goal kick. And yeah, second half, it, the one time he did get in second half, he was absolutely hacked down by, by Grant for his yellow card. So yeah, a real frustrating afternoon for McCurdy. And I'm sure he'll point to the sort of second big, big chance for Simpson in the in the second half where... Uh, he was put in by a lovely ball down the side by Reed. Um, I, I think Simpson did the right thing by going for the back post. He just executed it badly. Um, it was tame. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the shot's on though. It's, it's oh, definitely. I mean, yeah. I'm, it, that's that's the difference for me. You know, when when players take the shot and it's just so not on that 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 one arguably was a bit easier than his goal in, in terms of yeah, what yeah. space he had and McCurdy sort of having a pop for um for not for not laying on is a bit pot kettle I mean that one in the first half he just puts his head down and runs when he could have just cut in you know he could have cut the ball into the box but um no n- not not McCurdy's best and yeah of course if Tyrese plays that pass and it's probably a tap in but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get precious over him having that chance because if he's confident after that first goal, then you're going for it, and it was on, and that's the big difference, usually, isn't it? Yeah, I, I want a confident striker taking the shot in most situations, um, and you know, perhaps Tyree Simpson of August wouldn't have had the shot that he scored from in the first half, um, and you know, maybe if Simpson hadn't scored in the first half, he might not have had the shot in the second. He may well have scored it. So it's. Funny old game, but generally you want your strikers having the confidence to um, to shoot when the chance presents itself. I'm not sure the square ball to McCurdy was as easy as some people are saying either. Now, you were at that end of the pitch, Rich, so you, you had a better appreciation of the angles, but that's also a very easy ball to get wrong. 
Um, and then you're bemoaning why he didn't have the shots. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, probably that and the read free kick right at the end are the only two times the keepers had to be seriously sweating. And that's disappointing at home to 16th from the table, regardless of local derby or not. Yeah, just it looked like we'd had a game on the Tuesday. Like we'd had a grueler on the Tuesday. And yeah, we just run out of legs. Like Iandolo was out on his ass. Like he, after each run forward, he just looked like he'd run a marathon. Um just Gladwin and Williams just didn't have any snap in that middle of the pitch. Um, and, and of course, it doesn't help that Williams, you know, battered and bruised and, you know, mixed in with a, a bit of him going down uh, fairly easily. But um, oh, there's, there's there a big side for you. Yes. We just, why, like, why didn't we roll the dice? Mitchell Lawson <laughs> against his former side. It was like, come on, get him on. Is that a dice roll or is that just trying to play the law of sods? That's they've, they've got, he, I mean, Mitchell Lawson, when he came on at the Memorial was definitely up for it and definitely yeah. came in and, and made a nuisance of himself. So I'm not saying that, 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 you know, Jaden couldn't have come on and made a difference, but I do understand that they've got to come on and make a difference or yeah. they've got to come on and get involved in that game. And that second half, Connor, it's very hard for anybody to come on and make an impact. Yeah, sure. Uh, but like that doesn't mean not trying like yeah. it, it it's a really weird decision not to change anything at all because i think we could all see that you know williams probably wasn't having his best game um, as we've kind of already discussed um that there are a number of players that like no one would have really complained if they'd have been taken off after an hour or 70 minutes uh, and i mean firstly there's i guess that there's a continuity in this in that garner does seem very hesitant to make changes in games until very late on. And, and I don't really understand the point in having free substitutes available to you if you're hesitant to make them, especially in a squad that that is good. And we, I know that we kind of have like quite an established first team, but it's, it, it's probably more accurate to see it as like a squad of 14 or 15 players um, hmm. and playing regularly than, than, than a first 11. And uh, okay, we've lost a few players, um, haven't got on back from loan, but there are players on that bench that played football this season um, and could have come on to change to change things ever so slightly. Um, I just don't buy at all um, his um, reasoning after the game that you know, yeah, you can you can change things to try and win, but then by that token, you can also lose because I mean, ultimately, like what? How much good does this one point from this game do? Like versus the chance of winning free, like f- from my side, it like. I'd rather never draw a game if it means that we try and win more and then like all you have to do is kind of, I guess, have won one of uh, <laughs> three or whatever it is. I'm, I'm, I'm getting dangerously close to Luke Williams kind of logic, but like <laughs> trying, trying to avoid losing like rather than trying to win, it seems a bit odd to me. And I think this is why like so little football got played towards the final sort of 10, 15 minutes of the game because both teams look very scared to not to not to not to not lose. Um, they look scared to lose. Sorry, uh, so we're just kind of seeing things out, and you know, six minutes of added time where probably two minutes, three minutes of football's been played because neither team are interested. And the fact that we were looking at bringing Leiden on towards the end to waste time rather than to affect the game just it it boggles the mind. What I was thinking at the time is, you know, surely this must be some kind of gesture to whoever is kind of lining up signings and hasn't pulled uh, the, the trigger on anything that 
look, you know, although the squad's pretty good, we, we're, we're lacking the um, sort of ability to change things from the bench. But I mean, I just, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't agree that we, that there is a problem in terms of, like there is clearly people on the bench that could have come on and wouldn't have made the team much worse. Could have made the team better in, in in different ways, just with fresh legs and all that kind of thing. Obviously, I would agree that we do need um, to to bolster the squad, and we'll come on to discuss that. Like that, there are a lot of lots of business needed in the final week of the transfer window for sure. Um, but I just I just don't understand it. I think it's a really big mistake to have not tried to win that game because you know if we if we'd have lost, it would have been frustrating. We'd probably be talking. In a in a much more annoyed way on this podcast than we than we have been. Uh, it wouldn't have been good to lose to local rivals, but at the end of the day, like what like yeah, I, what what good does one point do do uh, do for us when you know actually winning would have been a really good thing for us. And I think that's key, isn't it, Dan? I mean, you take away the derby element, you take away the two thousand four hundred seventy three away fans, and what you're left with is a upper lower mid table team so someone in the top of the lower table who are struggling to string together a good run in fairness to them due to games being called off left right and center but you know if that was Crawley Town who were above them in the league you'd be fuming with that with that with that second half wouldn't you if that was Hartlepool, Walsall, Rochdale all in the same places you'd be livid at home um, if if we weren't going out there to win and I just feel that and I might be completely wrong, but regardless of what Ben Garner says, he just did not want to lose to Bristol Rovers. Yeah, well, now that we've had the benefit of seeing the whole 90 minutes play out and hearing his comments, I think that's probably about right. Um, which, you know, from a manager, and hopefully Garner's going to be a manager of Swindon for a little while and we're going to build something, win promotion, etc. It is a slightly worrying trait that in all of the game circumstances, which you've just described, you know, Bristol Rovers in 16th at home, that we that we didn't, you know, twist. Um, it's a bit of a paradox to many of our away performances where we're used to going in level at half-time and then we come on really strong in the second half and there is that real desire to win. Um so yeah, it's still, you know, I, it was noticeable Garner's mentioned, uh, you know, unbeaten in five at home now, but that does include home draws against Harrogate, Stevenage, and yesterday against Bristol Rovers. It, we still haven't cracked it, and I, I don't know. It still looks like a, an approach, a mindset thing, rather than a question of footballing ability. So yeah, there's still work to be done on that front, but it it may have also been a result of a manager who's thinking, well, let's just get through today because I know I've got two coming in early next week, and then we've got the rest of the week before Colchester to try and get a couple more in. Um, I suspect the, the the Simpson news sounds sounds like it's come out of the blue, so that's probably shaken up the the transfer plans even more now. But yeah, maybe just trying to get through, and then we can recruit, and then hit the rest of the season hard but you know the only game you should be concentrating on is is the one you're in even if it is a bit cliche right yeah and it's it's what they've kind of they've kind of like been at pains to say that that's how they operate 
kind of since the start of the season that like we're not getting ahead of ourselves we're just trying to win the next game so yeah like to not try and win that game I mean I I know that we did try and win the game but to like not go out of your way to try and win the game just to me that's like more annoying than if we'd have lost it but you know that that's one interpretation I'm sure that there are more pragmatic fans than me uh, that um, are perfectly happy not losing because you know it, one point still a platform, but um, yeah, I I would like to hope that you know that's a one time thing because as you've mentioned, there's there's the whole Bristol Rovers thing with Ben Garner um, that that he didn't want to lose, and that if we're in the same position at 70 minutes, one or with Colchester next week, um, or against Crawley or Exeter uh, in the home games the week after that, that we don't do the same thing because to do that too many times is what could derail the season. I mean, you know, there, there are other things that could derail the season. We'll discuss them very soon. But, you know, like consistently having a habit of not trying to win games at the death, um, which is something that we've been really good at doing. Like like Dan mentioned, we've scored a lot of late goals this season, even in the, the away game against Bristol Rovers. I think the, the, the two goals that won the game for us came very, very late on in like the 80-something minute. Um, so After some good substitutions, by the way. Yeah. So just, yeah. Like it, it can't keep on happening. I, I would like to see more ruthlessness in that kind of aspect of things because, yeah, it, it wouldn't have been much skin of off our nose to, to have tried to win and uh, have been sucker punched again. It would have been frustrating, but you know, we'd have lost. We'd have been back one point in the table. So, <sighs> good sight. I thought it was noticeable without Wallacott in goal and with Jake O'Brien at right centre half. Two pegs in those four holes at the back weren't very good at football on the floor. And I do think that hampered us slightly. Um, Ward's kicking is just, I mean, he is what he is, right? He's a good League Two number two keeper. And I think we're, we're quite lucky to have him in terms of, you know, actual shot stopping and goalkeeping. But when Wallacott returns, I think, the distribution will improve again. But I, I do think O'Brien needs a bit of polishing when it comes to his football on the floor. He just, for me, I've, I've seen the 90 minutes at Mansfield and I've seen the 90 minutes against Bristol Rovers. He just looks at the moment, that's not to say he can't improve, he looks like an under-23s defender. He wants a bit too much time on the ball. He's got quite long Bambi legs. It takes him a little bit of time to get it out of his feet. Just he's not giving me that warm footballing feeling at the back. Whereas you look at well, Baudry's better on the ball. Critchlow's just gone. Was very good on the ball. I, I do think, and um, we'll come on to recruitment. That when we talk about centre halves, I, I do think it's requisite that that centre half um, is comfortable on the ball because I think O'Brien needs to become more of that horse for course option. Um, as we go through the rest of the league two season, when you're going to come up against big strikers and aerial threats, I think O'Brien will be invaluable. But just slightly hampered us on that right-hand side of the pitch, when, especially when Ward was giving the ball to O'Brien. It didn't quite progress uh, as nicely as if it was Conroy or um, Odomeo. It's intercepted by Josh Grant. Gladwin tries to play a low pass into Simpson. That's one by Taylor, but poorly. Comes back to Simpson, who can shoot left foot in! Open the scoring early on! What an elegant finish from Tyree Simpson! 
Okay, now the segment where I read out your opinions. Thank you to all of those who sent stuff in. Started with Ocus Road, who says six yellow cards for the gas sums up the game. Thought we lost the midfield and should have put Leiden on to give us some bite. For a big crowd, it was quiet in the town end. We needed that second goal. Man of the match, Johnny Williams, who again got kicked all over the park. Next up, Connor Mountford, who says referee killed the game, so stop start. But still, one point is better than none. On to next week. Bernie Man says fair result. Frustrating for us because we didn't play how we know we can play. Three points were there for the taking against an horrible, niggly, shithousing coaching team and players. Just didn't do ourselves justice. Lots of six out of ten performances. O'Brien, man of the match, did really well. John Stevens says got overrun in the midfield second half and should have brought Leiden on for Gladwin. Don't accept that you can't bring on a sub because it changes the shape. What do you do if you have an injury? Read man of the match for having to do two people's work in midfield. Mark says Gladwin shocking again today. How did he stay on for 90 minutes? Only matched by the referee's performance. Man of the match was either Reed or O'Brien. Would love to see us with a decent tactical manager. Wardy says scrappy game, fair result. O'Brien looks solid. Simpson, man of the match. Great take for his goal and bullied his marker most of the game. Gladwin sloppy at times. Really do need some players in to kick on in the second half of the season. Neil McLaughlin says, Hunt, my man of the match. We needed a sub or two in the last 20 minutes. Not sure what the thinking was there from Ghana. Code name hard hat says O'Brien was my man of the match. Frantic game. Should have put them away in the first half. We really needed to make changes as the game went on. Jack Taylor simply says we need options on the bench. While Simon Maslin says Grant changed the game when he came in and bossed the midfield. Hashtag pray for Grant. S. Parker says man of the match was Hunt. I think Pittman had a picnic hamper on the Rovers bench. So every time there was a break in play, they all headed over to see what was on offer. And the ref just let them. It was bizarre. Connor, no cauliflower this week, though. Jamie Townsend says, thought that Gladwin created well throughout. Almost all of our chances came through him. But man of the match would have to go to Reed, who just didn't stop running. Paul Merriman says disappointing leading to frustration leading to a struggle to give a man of the match from a very narrow cast. Conroy man of the match would have liked to have seen Ghana mix it up a bit with 15 minutes to go. JML and Leiden good subs to have. It was a gritty frustrating derby with a point the right outcome. Nick says Rovers full of dirty tricks and taking it in turns to pick up the yellows. They did the job well, though, and we weren't quite up to beating it. Hard to pick a man of the match, but Rob Hunt, a seven versus all the others who were sixes. Michael Benke says, just about Simpson for me for man of the match in a game where no one was really bad, but no one that great. Draw a fair result. Batch says, um, good first 30 understandably flat after the equaliser. Second half was anticlimactic, scrappy stop-start affair where Rovers actually looked better on the ball than we did. Thankfully, they have no quality and their defence did their job. Crying out for Leiden change. Man of the match, Rob Hunt. 
Ben Foster-Q simply says Rob Hunt for Man of the Match. But Sean Anthony says Simpson, Man of the Match. Ref drains the life out of the game. Rovers dominated midfield. Gladwin slow, 16 minutes onwards, needed to be subbed off. Garner messed up on that one. Seemed like he let the game get away from him. Rich Parker says, glad I don't have to watch Rovers every week. Typical Barton shithousery. Should have buried the game whilst on top. Tyree Simpson, man of the match for me, as lots of six out of tens today. Craig Bora called it uninspiring shite. Philip Holloway says, desperately need new players in this squad. We are suffering now. There was no man of the match. Lots of solid performances and the odd glimpse of quality, but nobody stood out. Baffles me why no subs were made. Match was crying out for Leiden to take it by the scruff of the neck. Pete Marsh has a man of the match, though. It's Louis Reed. Got the impression that this was a game that Ghana didn't want to lose rather than win. Seemed confident about reinforcements. Nice dig about the Rovers' budget. Jason says, we have become a Jekyll and Hyde team. Great one week, terrible the next. Garner's excuses of can't change formation we haven't worked on and poor pitch was the reason behind the lack of possession. Rovers didn't have a problem with the pitch. We need those incoming players. James has lacked composure and couldn't compete with some of their physicality. Simpson took his goal very well. Louis Reed, man of the match. Joe Bennett says, if we'd scored a second early on, then we would have killed it off in the opening stages. Really need reinforcements and attacking options to change things up. Fair result. Nice to have a proper derby feel to the game. Tom Carter's thinking about man of the match and he says Simpson, but he's clutching. Dean Morgan says, I'd go for Simpson. Would love it if we somehow were able to sign him permanently. Boy. Don't we all agree now, Dean? Conroy and O'Brien were also solid. Nick Cripp says, fair result. Could turn out to be a good point come the end of the season. Ref was awful. No protection for Williams at all. On to next week. Josh Phelps says, Louis Reed, man of the match for me. Controversially, I could see Ben Garner's logic in no subs. Whilst being overrun in midfield, we limited them to little chances. There were no game changes off the bench, so keeping on our three creative midfielders made sense to find that winner. Dean wasn't there, so can't comment on the game, but the result isn't awful, he says. Let's get to the 1st of February with the new signings and still in touch, then make a real push for it. Nathan says the Don Rogers sand was actually singing today, and he liked it. That is all. Craig Clark says, fail to make the early pressure count and get that crucial second goal. Fair result, I'd say, but frustrating. Man of the match, Hunty getting better week on week. Using some effective wrestling-related GIF action, Jimmy Legg says the entire team's performance was mid. Red Dave says, man of the match, difficult, but he gives it to Tyree Simpson just for that brilliant finish. It was obvious from the hour mark that a sub was needed to change things up. Should have won the game. We've got a far better side. Rovers are not very good. Martin Wheeler says, Rob Hunt was man of the match. Good first 20, rest pretty average. Rovers were a horrible team, like their manager. Arriba says, poor game. But we had the better chances. Can't pick a man of the match as nobody stood out. AD Mail says at least we have some rested players for next week. Odd, but okay. Next, man of the match was very hard. Probably Reed, but no one was outstanding today. 
Neil Dixon says, excellent first half hour, conceded a sloppy goal, then sucked into the dogfight by the limited opposition. Louis Reed, man of the match, absolutely everywhere, as always. Bear Nichols says, performance was okay, played better, played worse, fair point, man of the match, Simpson, followed by Gladwin. Paul Temple says, frustrating at times, but fair result, as we didn't do enough against shithousery and front press. Pity Tyrese tried to curl it in for a second as Harry had a tap-in. Good performances from our front two and back three, although Louis Reed man of the match for me. Some great long passes. Jeremy Randall says, not a good game to watch. Rovers very niggly and allowed by a poor ref to get away with off-the-ball holding, shirt-pulling and blocking, as well as some very late challenges. The one on O'Brien in the first half should have brought a red card. Having said that, we weren't sharp enough or precise enough at times with our control and passing. I think Williams, who played well, clearly ran out of steam and Mitchell Lawson or Leiden should have replaced him around 75 minutes. However, we had very few options on the bench. So criticism of Ghana for not making changes is a bit harsh. We may regard that as a good point come April. Man of the match, Iandolo or Hunt. Danielle Wilson gives... O'Brien, the man of the match. And finally, Mr. Jason, who says, I can't believe we didn't try to change anything sooner. Gas dominated us second half and we had no real answer except balls down the channel for McCurdy or Simpson to chase. We need to have different plans for when it's not working. Either Akin or O'Brien, man of the match for me. Okay then, so We'll go man of the match now, and it was another close one. There were nominations for Odimeo, there Iandolo got one or two, but the the big four uh, was Jake O'Brien in fourth place. He got a handful of votes, and based on what Dan said earlier on, I think you know, I think it was mentioned in the post match. It's you know we got a defender who can head the ball now, which is which is good, um, and he put in that tackle. But I agree largely with. What, what Dan was saying, and I know a fair few people that absolutely agree with that too. Then we had Rob Hunt in third place, um, only two votes behind the first, who I thought had a very good game. Second was Tyree Simpson, and the man of the match from the listeners by one vote was Louis Reed. Now, Connor, I put to you that listening to what the listeners were saying is the overwhelming majority everybody who mentioned the midfield talks about how we were overrun so how does reed or why is reed man of the match uh i don't know i I, he wasn't in my picture put it that way i mean we'll come on to discuss that but i think it's one of those things where he's clearly a good player and he did good things on the day so like most people will be able to look at one or two really good moments. Obviously, the assist for the goal, um, good play in sort of the first 20, 25 minutes. And, um, you know, probably got better towards the end of the second half as well. Um, and you can probably say that, you know, he wasn't awful based on that. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think in my kind of line of thinking, like the fact that he didn't get out for the, the cross that led to their goal... Uh, probably instantly rules him out and then just the fact that he wasn't really in the game for the second half of the first half was uh you know uh another further mark so um it's not one that I saw but I mean I guess it's one of those things where we all see the game differently so uh yeah 
I'm surprised that he was nominated much at all, but, uh, you know, democracy is democracy. We have to accept it. We certainly do. So who gets your man of the match, Connor? And we'll see if me and Dan agree. I will be the tiebreaker if uh, if it comes to that. Rich, I mean, are you, are you ask, it, seriously, do you have to ask me who my man of the match was? <laughs> For the final time? <laughs> yeah, it's Tyree Simpson. I mean, we, we've mentioned before, I'm hardly able to be sort of fully objective, but... Uh, the goal was brilliant. Um, the the endeavour uh, for for the chance that was missed sort of in the second half was brilliant. I mean, absolutely sort of <laughs> barrelled, uh, as I say many times about Tyree Simpson. But I'll say it one more time: uh, past their defender to to get to get in on goal there, um, held up the ball really well. I mean, like like I said, I think we did look longer in the second half, um, and um, you know when when the ball was put on his chest. Um, he, he was able to kind of use his strength to just hold the ball up and, and, and give it to sort of um, someone in a wider position or back to the midfield. So um, th- there was um, a lot of positive there. And I think the other thing is that I don't think that anyone really had a poor game, um, but I, I do think that there are a lot of players that over the full 90 probably would have um, not, not gone past like a six, six and a half out of 10. Uh, so um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, probably more by default uh, than anything. Um, I would probably um, also sort of praise um, Odomeo. I think he was very, very good. Yeah, again, I mean, he he just has locked down that side um, on on the left between him and Iandolo. Um, So I think the thing that I really like about him, I wanted to mention this last week, but I just completely forgot to do it on the podcast. So I'm doing it now because it was something he did again, um, is like... His one-to-one defending has been good for a long time. We that we were com- commenting on that um, a lot last year, but some of the passes he picks out from the back um, are just absolutely exceptional. There are a couple of clip balls down the side in the first half where uh, I was just like in awe of being able to firstly pick it out because I didn't see it from the crowd, um, and then um, actually execute it and get the ball onto the onto the, the sort of the wide man's boot. So um, yeah, have to mention him. But um, yeah, I mean. Overall, I think most players played pretty well without kind of starring. On the Odomeo front, you guys bring the the analysis. I bring the vibes. And what I love about Akin Odomeo is he just looks so comfortable and relaxed. He made a couple of mistakes in the first half, and I noticed them because he was on our side. Minor, minor ones, but no fear after it. No fear of making that mistake again, you know, straight back in it. I absolutely love Akin Odomeo. Really, really do. But Tyrese gets Connor's vote. Dan, is it a, is it a Tyrese for the last time? Um, yeah, and this is with all sentiment removed because I'm, I made this comment in the Merlin after the match to, to my friends. I think, I think Simpson pipped it. Um, I think some of his hold-up play when the ball was played into his feet um, was excellent. The one, probably most eye-catching in the first half, was where he turned Connor Taylor on the halfway line, was just about to streak ahead before Taylor came scything in. Quite lucky he didn't make a lot of contact with Simpson, really, because that was um, that was a daft way of fouling him. You know, you could have just dragged him down. Um, yeah, he took the goal beautifully on the end of what was our clearest chance in the the second half. Um, And the chap, as Connor said, just bounced off him, which is just so lovely to see. Um, Yeah, he was, he was our best outlet and um, pips it for me. I mean, Hunt was good. Odomeo good. 
Um, but yeah, some frustrating afternoons for McCurdy and Reed, who were normally two of the main men. I thought Andalo looked a bit bit out of gas at the end. He's normally sort of energizer bunny up and down the left hand side. So yeah, we'll um we'll certainly have better afternoons than that. Iandolo frightens me defensively, but offensively, I think he can be really exciting. Yeah. But I think and we used to have this problem a lot under Mark Cooper when Nathan Byrne was the far more advanced uh, wing back. Opposition teams would target Swindon over the top down that side. Um, and I think you see that a bit with Andalo too. Some of some of the spread balls from from Coots in the middle of the park, sort of first time volley passes were were very good. A bit of a feature of the Rovers play. So yeah, you sort of you're, it's a balancing act, right? You're sort of taking the the extra security of Hunt on the right, and you're trying to give Andalo more license. But um, you know, without a Leiden or an Anthony Grant, you're not getting that sort of Midfield air cover. Um, Reedy plays deeper, but he's not a he's not a pro, like traditional spoiler and hasn't got, hasn't really got the size of the legs to get in the way in a massive way. But you know, you you've got to concede some areas of the pitch. You know, Iandolo still does a lot of good going forward. Yeah, I mean, I almost put the uh, the four into a poll because it was so close. But because of the news on Sunday that Tyrese was being recalled, I, I just felt that Tyrese would get it <laughs> in a landslide when when Reed got, got a lot of the votes. So Reed gets the listeners, uh, man of the match, and Tyrese gets the pods. It's going to be a long pod. It's our pod. We can do what we want. Um, so there's a couple more bits that I want to talk about before we move on, based on what the listeners were saying in their contributions. The first one is, again, I know we all know this, but again, the the level of criticism at Ben Gladwin, there were a few touches and moves in this game, which for League Two football was out of this world, you know, and (laughs) Gladwin provides that, Connor, but he made a couple of mistakes early in the game. You know, he made a couple of bad touches, whatever, but... It was it was a solid performance, I thought. Yeah, I mean, he's probably one of the ones that wasn't quite at it in the first 10, 15 minutes. Uh, and then because you've kind of given a ball the way, like dallied on it maybe twice, I think he did in the first 10, 15 minutes. That's not a great way of starting. And that probably like, you know, gets people's back up a little bit in terms of watching it. Because I was kind of thinking, you know, he probably now needs to do something really good to kind of swing the balance from like the early kind of um, setbacks. And... <sighs> It's one of those things where um, I think he was probably one of the only players that got better as the first half went on in terms of, I mean, like like we say, it was from quite a low base uh, to begin with. Um, but I think he was probably the, the only player that was really looking like he was kind of going to stem the tide um, of the Rovers' um, attacks um, towards the end of the first half. Um, and, you know, second half, some absolutely outrageous passes. Um, and like I say, touches. I mean, some of his footwork was just... Uh, was was brilliant you know we, if he had have done that kind of level of stuff in the first 15 minutes as well I, I don't think we could have really been um receiving too many negative comments from him but I think on this one we have to concede that you know there, there were negative parts to his game as, as well as the um the good stuff so again for me that kind of averages out at like a six six and a half out of ten performance which is is not bad by any means it's a six out of ten performance. It's just not the two, three out of ten performance that are being implied. And 
in in a game in October with a fully strength squad, he's going off at some point in that second half, no different than Johnny Williams. So um, I I, I do get that. And the game in general probably highlighted the fact that we we do really need Jack Payne back because um, between him and Williams, who I think Williams had probably a worse game than than Gladwin by um, a a fair distance, you know, partly due to the treatment of him, which was, you know, being getting chopped up into little pieces of sashimi every time he entered the Roman <laughs> Um That, you know, if we'd have had sort of, you know, as Dan would put it, the Duracell bunny um, uh, of Jack Payne's energy and sort of dynamism in midfield, uh, then, um, you know, that would have been able to mix it up again. But it, it's one of those things, um, you know, I, I don't think uh, either of those two you'd probably want to sort of um, have playing the full 90. And, and that's why it's been quite a, consistent pillar of our um, selections this season that, you know, one of them plays 60 and one of them plays 30. But, um, you know, in this game, I guess they had to both play through. So, um, yeah, it is what it is. Cool. Um, Final point goes to Dan. And, you know, it's mentioned a lot in the listeners' contributions. And I just want a final point on the referee, Tom Neald. Um, A very difficult game to control even though it wasn't you know handbags and I do feel like to a degree the game needed a moment where it reached boiling point and you know there was like a 20 man not brawl but you know a bit of a a bit of a coming together it it felt like we were always on the brink of it in this game it never happened and I think if that did happen then maybe someone got sent off and then maybe you know football could have been played a lot of criticism for Tom Neald I gotta be honest watching it I thought, you know, I don't think it was a 10 out of 10 or or 8 out of 10, but I thought he did all right. Um, yeah, I think someone made the point earlier. Each time a, a Rovers player made a cynical tackle, they were booked. So I don't think any of the bookings tipped over into a red territory. There's one smack bang in the centre circle on Williams, which I think watching it live, I thought there was a bit of red potential, but seen it again and you know I think yellow card was fair so I think a lot of people's issues with the referee was just the bittiness he contributed to the bittiness of of the game there's two moments um shooting towards the Stratton Bank second half where to me it looked like Swindon had won the ball back clean sort of pressing Rovers in possession and we're about to streak ahead clear McCurdy Uh, wasn't it yeah the referee blew up um yeah, you know, I'm sure the Ravers fans would point to similar incidents which we've probably overlooked. But no, I mean, oh, they they always get rubbish referees. They were chanting it the whole game. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I mean, we we got a bit of luck at Ravers, didn't we? The the handball on the line. I'm not entirely sure what he could have done. That, but, uh, whoa, 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 whoa! That's no, let's not rewrite no, history, no. Dan. Yeah, come Ooh. on, come on. Look, I mean, with with Tom Neild, it, it I'm not saying it's a perfect referee in performance, but I don't think it it was stop start because of the way Bristol Rovers were playing, you know, and, yeah. and as already been mentioned, those yellow cards, none of them were cruising for a bruising because they were very tactical with who was making the cynical tackle, weren't they? So yeah. it, it was, it was a classic, um, you know, it's been said it was a shithousing performance and those things happen. Um, and it's not necessarily the referee's fault. He did let a few go. He did a couple of good advantages. You know, I, I think ultimately Swindon, fans wanted a player sent off but like it's already been mentioned 
None of them did anything that warranted a straight red. You know, Bristol Rovers are going out of that game all excited and happy that they've got a point at Swindon, but their manager's saying they're going up this year. And if that's how they're going to do it, oh, I'd be surprised. I think that the, the only kind of time when I think there should have been a yellow card would, that there wasn't was uh, in the build-up to Tyree Simpson's chance in the second half. Um, Grant sort of fouled, I believe it was Hunt, uh, pushed him. Oh yeah, like, there was a bit of a niggle on the floor, wasn't there? Yeah, and that he should have come back and booked him, and then that would have meant that Grant couldn't have made the tackle on McCurdy. Therefore, we would have won the game. Obviously, there we uh, go. But, there we but go. no, I I think shame I think on actually, you, Tom Neal. I take <laughs> I, it all back. I am I am I'm fully joking about that. I mean, I think I think the referee was one of the better ones we've had there at home this season. I would completely disagree that he was bad. Um, I think it's one of those ones where because it was so stop and start, it's kind of like death by a thousand cuts where you couldn't point to anything that the referee actually did wrong, really. You know, a couple of things that actually, if you take your fan glasses off, then you're not, you're not outraged about it. Um, but because uh, you know, there was just so much frustration um, at, at the way things were pa- uh, panning out, um, that's probably why he got booed off at the end. Uh, but you know, I I I didn't. Um, I, I I genuinely I thought he was probably the best the best referee we've had at the ground all season. <laughs> um, but you know, goes to shout out well, out of touch. I am. That is the thing, Dave, isn't it? Swindon are certainly getting more possession, at least, as Williams gets his first touch here and tries to play it forward. Gets it via a back heel from Payne. Williams can break into space, edge of the penalty, a left-hand side. Good cross into the six-yard box! And Tyree Simpson has his first Swindon goal! And Johnny Williams makes an immediate impact as sub. Great back heel, run and cross, and a stretching Simpson puts it in. Here's a little pre-recorded bit then. So I asked listeners how they felt about the exit of Tyree Simpson and also what they felt we needed over the next seven, eight days to bolster Swindon Town's squad, starting with Remo, who says desperately need cover for Hunt and Iandolo. Either gets injured, it's game over. And two strikers can't ruin this chance of promotion now. Hope the two Bens don't come out and say our job this season was to stabilise the club and stay up. Rich Banyard says, flipping annoyed, two forwards and two attacking wingbacks are required, one on either side. Martin Crook feels fed up, shit, disappointed and frankly having a strop. Two strikers, one attacking midfielder and a partridge in a pear tree. Please, Hoju just feels sad, man. Hannah says, now this will be a real test of Swindon Town's ambitions this season. I'm, of course, gutted to see another young Loney depart, but excited for JML, HP and the prospect of a mid-season refresh. The two Bens have proven that they have the minerals working on a shoestring. I trust the process. Ian Rogers says, I've constantly campaigned that we should have signed Simpson permanently. He's so important to the way we play. We need two centre-forwards, a centre-back, cover a left wing-back, a right wing-back, and a winger who can pay both flanks. Exit door for Baudry and, unfortunately, Grant. Nathan James says, Tyrese's exit is a move that doesn't work for all three parties. Season-long loans seem utterly pointless. Disappointing how much weaker we've got in January. Went from wanting to strengthen to just trying to bring ourselves up to standard. Craig Dean says, beginning of the season, we said we needed a 20-plus goal scorer. 
he'd have got that target for us. He improved massively after a shaky start, and it's going to be very difficult to replace him. Bitterly disappointed. The squad looks much weaker. Two centre-backs and a striker is vital. Dean says, I have been his biggest fan and gutted to see him leave. I am more than confident, though, under the new regime, that we will act accordingly and get the right requirements in. Bernie Man says, big loss given our predicament with the embargo. Trying to find a 10-goal half-season striker in the mould of Simpson will be no easy task, especially seeing as really we need two. I think this recruitment will ultimately decide whether we are serious about going up this season. Swindon Spartan says Tyrese will be a huge loss, bigger than Kessler Hayden and Roms in my opinion. He's been immense for us. Need two forwards and left-sided cover for Ellis. Sam Gray says he's gutted. Maybe as a currently progressive and big-ish League 2 team, Ipswich don't want us to go up and have to face them next year. Conspiracy theories aside, I'm sure it's a financial decision on their part. Andy Bennett says it's nature of the beast. We're still ahead of where most predicted. We need a Tyrese replacement, another striker, and someone with some bite in the middle of the field who Ghana will play, i.e. not Grant. Michael Gray says, suspect he will be sent out or sold to a League One or Championship side as he has learned all he can in League Two. Josh says, cons, it's a massive loss, generally gutted for the player and us, a very unique player for this level and his pace and strength combo is hard to match. But the pro is that Harry Parsons could well be the next recipient of the Luke Jeffcott Award. And finally, Matt says, it's disappointing, but no loans are really season-long loans. They all have a break clause. So we have to live with it, especially under the embargo right now. I look at it as no different to losing a player through a long-term injury. At least the transfer window is still open. So in this segment, guys, we're going to just talk about our absolute horror of losing a very good player and also what we need to see come in, not to save our season, but just to make sure that we can carry on getting the results that we've been getting. So Dan, grisly business, this isn't it, loan markets? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure other fan bases have been stung, but with a Swindon hat on it, January's have felt very mean lately. Um, Go back to the Welland season, obviously, the hoo-ha of losing Doyle and then Yates. It had a happy ending, but God, it felt gut-wrenching in between. Um, last January, things started very, very nicely. You know, Travers in, Thompson in. Um, but then that sucker punch right at the end of losing Jayasimi and gaining Missalu and Garrick, um, which um, were sort of weak consolation prizes, really. Um, yeah, and let's hope we're talking about a sort of Doyle and Yates kind of window in the sense that there is a happy ending. It might not be the return of Kessler Hayden and Simpson, but we certainly do need to recruit well in the next seven or eight days because probably, and other people have made this point, not just me, Simpson is the key cog. Because he is the only striker, out and out striker, um, with any size, any physique. Um, he's not slow while we're on it. Um, everybody else at that top end of the pitch is a second striker or a winger, and that's a problem. 
when you're playing a system where there is a, a front two and you're in a league where, you know, no matter how much you try and play total football, you still need a bit of muscle. Um, yeah, but highly likely you're not going to find another 19-year-old striker knocking around League One or the Championship ready to come on loan with quite that set of qualities in terms of physical maturity. Um, it, we must say Simpson has not had an injury since he's been here. Every game in the league he started, right, other than Stevenage, which was the sort of post-COVID stuff. So probably that was the mitigating circumstance there. But his physical maturity is remarkable for someone of his age compared to uh, Tyrese Omotoye, who probably in academy terms was a lot further on than Tyrese was. Um, he'd won Norwich's Academy Player of the Year. He'd scored some goals in the Papa John's Trophy, whereas Tyrese Simpson really was from, well, at the time, it felt like the dregs, really, didn't it? Um, to be loaning a player from one league above. But what an impact he's had. Um, and the way he's developed from August to now has been really lovely to watch, even if he's not our player. And I really hope he goes on and has a stellar career because if he carries on that same rate of improvement, then the world is is oyster, really is. Dean said in in the fans' reaction there that you know nobody was a bigger fan or he was uh, Tyrese's bigger fan. I beg to differ. I think one Connor Garrett was possibly <laughs> uh, Tyrese Simpson's we can biggest share the fan. Prize. We can share the we, prize. Share the prize. Dean's a good guy. He, he'd be willing to split that. So um, gutting, isn't it, really? I mean, I'm not saying that Tyrese Simpson isn't replaceable. I do think that... The January market is much more difficult than the summer market. Um, but focusing on the individual, just so key for Swindon. Partly that's due to the strength of his performances, which have been good all along and have got better as they've gone along as well. Uh, partly that's due to the fact that he he is the only striker in the squad. And, you know, you know, obviously Ben Garner has mentioned that, you know, we, we, we look at it in terms of forwards and we have a lot of forwards. Uh, but, you know, really... It was a story of Tyree Simpson plus um, a second striker uh, with him all season. And uh, uh, it, it took a little while till we worked out that that second striker was going to be McCurdy. You know, the end of September is anyone's guess whether it's going to be Gilbert McCurdy or Mitchell Lawson sort of leading the line with him um, at this point of the season. Um, you know, so I think McCurdy's come along where we can probably consider him uh, a decent striker now. Like that seems to be his nailed on position for us. But um, it's going to be a really, really big loss, and uh, we, we're going to have to like replace him very carefully. Like I think this probably does change who we would be looking to bring in because I think they probably would have been thinking of someone kind of in that that kind of mould of can play across the front line um, to kind of um, bolster the squad. Uh, and now, um, I mean, it just it's non-negotiable that it has to be kind of um, a, a bit more of a focal point kind of player. So. Um, yeah, massive, massive loss. Um, and I think just the fact that we've now had, you know, a third key cog of the of the team from, from the loanees going back, um, all of whom seem to like be really popular within the squad and all get along and uh, like bring good performances for us. It is just a very big blow, I think. So uh, I was not even considering that it could happen and then saw it and was just completely distraught. Um, had to just go for a big walk to get out of my system. Uh, it's still in my I system. couldn't even do that, Connor. I was sat in the queue for a car wash. Oh. And 
luckily my windows were out because I, I I did shout. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when it rains, it pours, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, car wash. They, they, they must be, I mean, they've got a lot of centre forwards at Ipswich. So, you know, a lot Loads. of us are, a lot of us are sitting here wondering what, what the next thing is. I've heard rumours of, you know, a contract issue between the player and Ipswich. I've, I've heard that they might be selling him on, hearing that he might sit on the bench, might be get loaned out again. You know, so many things, but it really, who cares? He's gone. You know, it's yeah. not really much we can do about. And that. it doesn't look like he wanted to go either. From from the no, message no. he's put up uh, to Swindon fans uh, Ooh, on, on Sunday evening, I haven't evening. seen that. Uh, you know, there, there, there's a, a tear rolling down the face emoji. Uh, there's a, a love heart emoji and quite a heartfelt goodbye. So um, oh, I think we can take that. that as he's sadly not coming back. But uh, you know, very glad to have had him. Uh, at the yeah. club for, for this point and I think if we widen it out now sorry to do the hosting duties here Rich but please do if we uh, widen it out to just like the, the wider January transfer window I, I think it, it it does feel like we're going to have to do something pretty big in the last week of this window to kind of save the season because we, we've lost a, a nucleus of, of a good part of the team um, this, this window now um, you know, I think the business that we've done in terms of incomings, you know, Idem looks like he might be one for the future. Uh, O'Brien, uh, I've liked him so far after we got over like the, the early sort of horror show at Mansfield. Um, but, you know, we're, we're now, what, three players down on where we were, uh, four, four players down on where we were. Um, no, it is three players down on where we were <laughs> um, sort of coming into this month. So at a oh, minute, Gilbert as well, gone. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, four players out and then one player for outfield coming in. Um, I think we, like, basically to kind of be at par where we were going into January, we're going to need to make probably three signings this week. And this is based on a squad that throughout this whole season, one of the big discussion points that we've had is we don't have anyone backing up Simpson. So, realistically, you need four because we needed an extra striker anyway. Uh, so, I think it, it's going to be really interesting to see what our intent is because I think if we get those four players in two strikers maybe a centre back and a wing back um, or two wing backs depending on how you want to sort of uh, rejig the squad um, then um, that that's kind of showing okay we're going to keep going and try and get into the automatics if we can sneak in or aim for the playoffs and that's a, a sign of intent if we can't do that I know that there's constraints and stuff like that to do with the, the embargo and all of that kind of stuff and it's, this is probably a harder window to be doing business in than, than in the summer when people are out of, uh, out of contracts, you can bring in freeze and trialists and all that kind of stuff. Like Aaron Ramsey. <laughs> like Aaron Ramsey. Like Aaron, like Aaron um, Ramsey. That's Juve's Aaron Ramsey. None of this, <laughs> none of this alternative nonsense. Um, like it, 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 yeah, I, I, I just don't know how to think about it because I, yeah, I, I struggle to kind of think how we're going to get the, calibre player in within the constraints to do well but obviously they've pulled cats out of the bag already in this tenure but like basically before Colchester if we don't have those four players in I'll start to worry that this season's going nowhere uh, and I, I don't think that's hyperbolic no and and this is this is the thing isn't it like a lot of the fan sentiment is that you know we shouldn't be just now going well we're lucky to be in existence we've done the hard bit and now we need to try and stay in the in the playoff and automatic promotion picture. And what happens this week could well, you know, show us 
the fans where the club's heads at. I mean, it, it's it's just a, it's a tougher market. There will be players that come in that you will not have heard of, but you've not heard of Tyree Simpson before before this season. And if you had, well done. But you know, not many people had. So I th- I think we need to make sure we don't knee jerk who do come in. But it's going to be cautionary, isn't it? Because we're not going to get, you know, the grapevine isn't going to tell us that Will Griggs coming in or James Norwood's coming in because we do have restrictions that Swindon will not fix before this window closes. So we have to be realistic with the calibre and standard and, and name a player coming in. But at the same time, I can absolutely see why fans are saying we shouldn't just be, just go, oh, well, you know, we gave it a a good try um, and we're going to just fall away because season tickets are going to be back on sale in a couple of months and people do react on their brand. And, and last summer it was a, it was a, you know, a straight pass for Clem Orfuni and co because of what was happening at the time. People will now, you know, decide on whether they're going to get a season ticket on the basis of what football they're going to be treated to. So it's a really, really key part in our immediate future not a long term but in our immediate future isn't it Dan oh certainly is um I'm I'm feeling I, I don't know where the hope's coming from but I'm feeling quite quite hopeful I think the fact we've got four loan spots available does give us a lot of wiggle room and it also stops you from having to necessarily shop in that permanent signing market which is really tricky in January um so what I would hope is, you know, through a mixture of our league position, our reputation of playing good football, our appearance on telly against Manchester City, hopefully Aston Villa are a happy parent club with what we've done with Kessler Hayden, what we've done with Simpson in the space of six months. Hopefully these things get round as word of mouth and um, hopefully some of that is returned to Swindon in, in terms of um, the quality of player we can bring in this week. Because I certainly agree with Connor. I think you need two two centre-forwards. And given you've already got McCurdy and Mitchell Lawson at the club, who are two second strikers, really, um, I think you probably want two two line leaders. Um, I, I would love to just pluck sort of 17, 18 Mark Richards out of the sky. That was... Um, you know, as much as it didn't seem like much, that was a very good piece of January business at the time. Um, perhaps, you know, if, if one of the two strikers was a bit more experienced, that, that might help as well. But no, it, we need bodies. You know, Iandolo and, and Hunt can't be the only two wing-backs you're going into the rest of the season with. Um, so you certainly need some legs out there. I think that one will probably be a 19 or 20 year old. And um, yeah, one more ball playing centre half, as I said earlier, just to complement what we, what we generally try and do at the back. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to the week ahead in terms of the, uh, the deadline. And I think I share Connor's sentiment that I really want the majority of the business done before Colchester. Don't really want to spend the uh, the forty eight hours after that 
wondering and hoping for something that might not happen. So um, here's hoping and good luck to the Bens on that front. But all we can do is wait and see and make sure our productivity at work isn't uh, declining as we're all looking uh, at our phones, waiting for some news. Let's have some, this is such a long pod, but oh well, um, we've been doing so well recently with with the length of episodes, but not today. Um, Finally, he's back. It's not in Swindon, but he's coming back on March 12th, gentlemen. John Sheridan has been reappointed Oldham Athletic Manager for a sixth time, if you include his caretaker spells. Well, it was only one club that was going to recruit him, and it would have to be the basket case bottom of the league, looking for one last Hail Mary from Sheridan. He's done it before. Would he do it again? But March 12th, the reaction from Swindon fans... To a degree, don't appreciate how well thought of or highly thought of he is at Oldham because Swindon fans going, good luck. Oh, I can't believe you got that. But they all love him up there. Um, but March 12th, Connor, it's your time, no? <laughs> uh, after the hell he put me through as uh, auxiliary host of this podcast last season, I think. <laughs> I mean, uh, as well as being a Swindon fan and, you know, we all went through it last season. Um, you know, just a special place uh in you know my heart for you know how much I really did not like John Sheridan uh, by the end of everything. Uh, so yeah, it'd be nice to you know say a few nasty words uh, and then move on with my life, having got that all off my chest uh, on, on March the twelfth. Um, you know, I guess he he'll probably hope that he's self isolating or something for that game. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bit of a weird one because I think I just. Um, I think I went on the the Oldham tweet and said something on the lines of like. Oh, good luck or something like I feel bad for you guys uh, and uh, you know pretty much every fans of every club that he managed other than them seem to have liked it um, <laughs> but you know um, like they they all seem very happy I was looking at a few of the reaction videos they're putting up um, and uh, you know that they, they, they all seem buzzing I mean if, if, if we're a bit more serious I think Deep down, I hope he does do a good job there because I don't really want Oldham to drop into non-league. I think they're a good club and uh, the the Football League would be worse off without a club like that. But then obviously the way that they're being run is a complete disgrace and um, I, I do feel for their fans. So I kind of hope he manages it because, you know, it'd be nice if his career, I guess, for him could end on a high rather than, you know, on an absolute horrible low. Um, that's if I'm being very, very gracious to him. Um, but... You know, it, basically, either he, they're going to stay up and, uh, you know, Oldham stay in the Football League, which is a good thing for the Football League, or um, he takes them down. And although it's probably not his fault, uh, it will still be pretty funny to watch as a Swindon fan. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I completely agree about Oldham. I've got no beef with them. I, you know, I've got no desire for them to go down in any way. But they would become the first Premier League era team to have played in the Premier League and go into non-league. And that means we won't be the first team. <laughs> so it was something that felt like it, we were on a fast track for um, not so long ago. Um, I've got no too many people behind the scenes tell me how nice John Sheridan was. It was The football thing was just a completely different beast. But if we put four or five past them at the county grounds, I think that will be damn suitable uh, redemption and closure for many Swindon fans. Oh, for me, personally, yeah. And my problem here is with Sheridan, not Oldham. Um, I share your sentiments, gentlemen. I hope the off-field issues at Oldham get sorted with with much haste. Um, But yeah, 
we need this. I need this. A good four or five <laughs> nil March the 12th uh, would make me very happy. I can't think of a better way to end a bumper edition of the Low Strangers. Um, I've got to edit this before midnight. Wish me luck. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank Cheers you. All. And uh, thoughts of Christopher Misaloo. I feel so bad for that guy. <laughs> The Low Strangers is an independent podcast. Views given do not reflect those of Swindon Town Football Club. The music is provided by the great Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork is by Matt in Singapore. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.